0: You know, it's such an awesome privilege that we have to take communion. And I think a lot of times that we get caught up in the ritual, right? We get caught up in the, yeah, we've done this before and it's this and it's that. And we forget about what it really means um, and what it really symbolizes and what we're actually partaking in. And it's it's a symbol of covenant relationship between God and God. His Son Jesus Christ and ourselves, that we can have life. This morning, as they begin to pass out the elements, I want you to just search your heart and search your soul and, and to begin to really contemplate and think about what it means to be a child of God and what it means to partake in communion. So, if you will, just take this time, let it be a somber time between you and God. If you're a guest here this morning, maybe you've never been here, maybe you haven't been in a while, you don't have to be a member of this church to take communion, only a member of the kingdom of God. And so we encourage you this morning just to search your life and to search your soul this morning. They're passing the elements to you. You might take note that there are two cups, the bread is underneath your juice this morning. I know that may be a little bit different for you. Oh, precious. Oh. made his way into the garden and eventually on to the cross he and his disciples gathered for the Passover meal and what would be famously coined as the last supper and at the end of that meal and at the end of that celebration which Passover was all about the angel of death in Egypt passing over the houses that had been marked in lamb's blood. They continue that tradition of the Passover celebrating that redemptive quality through the shedding of blood. And on that same day they celebrated that Jesus said there's a, a new covenant. There's something that's about to happen and it's big. And so he took time away from the meal and when it was over and The Bible says that he took bread and he broke it and he said that this is my body. I want you to eat. And this cup represents my blood that is going to be shed for you. I want you to drink it. And as often, the Bible says, as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And the, the remembrance is that, you see, prior to this, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, right after creation, that Adam and Eve, that they walked in the garden in the cool of the evening with God, they were in His direct presence that they had time with Him and they spent alone time with God and they had a relationship. But sin entered the world and fractured that relationship. And so after that time, the only way that there could be remission of sin was animal sacrifice and a priest that had to go through a huge ritual of consecration once a year to go into God's presence to atone for the sins of the nation. And even then, going into God's presence could kill him. And then God finally sent his son to die. A horrible death. So that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed. So that that relationship could be restored between God and man. And now today, because of that, the Bible says that we can walk blamelessly into the throne room of grace. And so when we take communion, it's not about just taking a little bit bit of bread and and drinking a little bit of juice and remembering something that happened way back there. What we're actually remembering and what we're celebrating is the fact that you and I now have the the amazing ability to walk into the presence of God blameless and that we can say, Abba Father. The Bible says that we can make our petitions known in His throne room, in His presence. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. We take communion is that God loved you enough and He loved me enough that in spite of our sin, in spite of our shortcomings and our failings, that He sent His Son to die. So this morning, we follow the direction of Jesus and we take that bread that's been broken already and we remember His body that was broken for you we eat together? And after that, he took that cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant. That new ability for us to walk again in the presence of God. This morning, we can celebrate the shed blood of Jesus Christ that because of what he did for you and I, this morning that we are free. Free of the sin and free of all the wrong that we've done. This morning we take the cup and we remember the cross. Shall we drink together? God, we thank you this morning that we have the ability to stand blameless in your sight. To stand free of the bondage and the oppression of sin. To stand free of everything that so easily distracts us and sets us outside of your kingdom. And God, we worship you that this morning, that we are free because of what you did. Not because of what we did, but because of what you did for us. That we are able to stand free and to stand stand blameless this morning. God, we thank you for that covenant. We thank you for that relationship. We just take a moment this morning just to worship you and to say thank you from the bottom of our heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to finish up our our series that we've been doing this month uh, called Heroic Faith. And we've been looking at... um, different heroes of the Bible and kind of dissecting their stories and their lives and and seeing what we can learn and what we can glean from the lives of some of these pillars um, of, of the Old and the New Testament. Most have been from the Old Testament. This morning, we want to finish up that series talking about, I think, maybe one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Joshua. And I love Joshua because Joshua is one of the few people that we see that, like, his life consistently, when he's entered into the story until the time that he dies in, in, in Scripture, that he is so consistent. He's not like David. He's not up or down and over here and over there. And, and David was consistently inconsistent. You know, one minute he's like up here, the next minute he's down here. And we, we see the same thing, you know, even in the life of Moses. Moses gets the Ten Commandments, Moses breaks the Ten Commandments, you know. Uh, Moses was very emotional. The thing that we see about Joshua is he's just consistent, always consistent. So if you have your Bibles this morning, Joshua chapter number one, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. And you can follow along on the screen if you like. Chapter number one, beginning in verse number five. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left, and you may have good success wherever you go. You guys awake? (laughs) Are you thinking about lunch? Where is God going to go with you? It's better. It's better. Wherever you go. Let's set up the kind of the background story, the context of of where we find ourselves this morning in Scripture with Joshua's life. Now, Moses is dead. And Joshua is now being tasked. leading God's people into the promised land. Now, let's remember who Moses is, right? This is the guy who escaped all the children being killed in Egypt. They were Hebrews. Mom put him in the basket, remember the story, and he floated down the river. Grew up in Pharaoh's palace. Pretty cool gig. Then leads God's people out of bondage. And there's all these great, really cool things that he does with a stick. Everybody Remember? Leads God's people out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry land. Miraculous bread falls from the sky to feed God's people. And then meat miraculously appears to feed God's people. They get thirsty and Moses hits a rock and water comes out. You kind of get in the picture here? This guy's pretty awesome. He and his stick are doing some pretty amazing things in the life of God's people. Well, now he's dead, and they're roaming around the desert, just kind of waiting. And so Joshua gets to lead this exciting group of people, a group of people that God promised this land to, and when they sent spies into the land, the spies were like, we can't do it, we're just better to stay here, maybe we go back to Egypt, I don't know, but this is not going to happen. Except a guy named Joshua and a guy named Caleb who came back and said, "If God gives it, we, we we're good. God's got this. We can take anything." And now Joshua is being given leadership over this group of people. How many of you can imagine that job interview? Who's willing to take that job? The ideal candidate would have a staff that can part water, create water, have magical bread fall from the sky. Anybody want that job? No, but here's Joshua, and he's got to lead these people. Now, right before Moses dies, Moses had some words for Joshua in, in Deuteronomy chapter number 31. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up here uh, in verse 5. Chapter 31, verse 5. He says, And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 7 says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Does this sound familiar? It sounds a lot like in the book of Joshua, what God spoke over Joshua. You know, there's this underlying theme in all of this. Be strong and courageous. In fact, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7, he goes a little bit further and he says, only be strong and be very courageous. What is courage anyways? It's the ability to do something that frightens one. Or strength in the face of pain or grief. And this is the mission that Joshua is tasked with. A mission that the greatest leader in their history so far failed to complete. Moses was supposed to take the people into the promised land. And he couldn't get it done. Joshua is standing looking over this situation. Now, why do you think it is that God continues to tell him to be courageous, be very courageous, be strong. Because God knows the type of people that Joshua is going to be dealing with. Let's not forget about what a fun group of people this is. Their their trust and dedication to, to God wavered about like a middle school girl's crushes. One day they're here, one day they're here. One day they're like, God is so great. He can do anything. The next day they're golden calves, right? And this frustrated Moses to the point that he broke the Ten Commandments because the people, they just wavered so much. They're here, they're there, they're everywhere. They couldn't decide where to land. And, you know, I think it's stories like this where you realize why we call them the children of Israel. How I many of you have kids? They want, they don't want, they this, they that, right? My, my little guy, Nixon, he, he, he like, eats the same thing for breakfast every day. Unless I preemptively get out his favorite cereal and pour it ahead of time. Then he doesn't want that cereal today. <laughs> Only on the days that I don't do it. Right? Does this sound familiar to anybody else? He's like, but I didn't want that today. I'm like, but you eat this every day. Not today. I guess it's tainted once you it's your idea. I don't know. But the children of Israel, they're the same way. They're over here. They're over there. And they're like, yes, God. No, God. Here, God. Nah, and they're just all over the map. That's why we call them the children of Israel. And so Joshua has to lead This group of people into the promised land. So God commands Joshua to cross the Jordan River. And so they they, they get down to the Jordan River and the Jordan River's in its flood stage. Which means it's a lot bigger than it usually is. Which means it's pretty much impossible for the people to cross. Can you imagine some of the comments, you know, towards the back of the line? Oh, we knew this was gonna happen. I don't see Moses' stick anywhere. We've marched all the way here for nothing. We could have told him it was in flood stage. It's always in flood stage this time of year. Why in the world are we here? We can't beat these people anyways. What happens? God says, keep on. Have the priests enter the water. And as the priests enter the water, this miraculous thing happens. The waters recede and the people cross on dry land. Sound familiar? Now, Why is it that God does this? God does this because he wants the people to see something. He wants them to see that, number one, Moses' stick did nothing. It was just a stick. Moses did nothing. He was just a man that God used. And so God does this miraculous thing at the Jordan River to show the people that it's not in a leader, it's not in a man, that any of your your hope and your confidence or your ability to do anything is in, but it's only in God. And if God chooses that person to lead, then he's going to go before, the Bible says, to prepare the way. So he wanted the people to know right off the bat, straight away, as soon as they get to the Jordan River, the first obstacle in their path, that God's already got a plan and he's already taking care of it. And the people listened, and they followed Joshua. And they were able to possess the land. What can we learn from the life of Joshua this morning? There's four things that I want you to take home out of the life of Joshua. And most of you will probably have to stop at the first two, because that's about as far as we can really get. Um, I'll go ahead and give you the other two for, you know, future use. But most of us probably won't get past number one. Number one is this trust God more than you trust yourself and I think this is super hard for us to do because we, we see things in the natural we see things based on our ability and our strength and our resources to get us through we, we struggle with our own God complex if you would We have adversities and problems and struggles that come against us. And and rather than trusting the promises of God and and trusting what God said that he's going to do in us, we only see things through the lens of our ability to get through them. And what happens is we become discouraged and and we become dismayed. Because like the children of Israel, when they sent the 12 spies into the land— There were giants. There were fortified cities. The the Bible says and history tells us that the city of Jericho, their walls were so thick that they could race chariots around the top of the walls. That's a pretty big wall. And here you have a group of people that are not an organized military. They do not have a military leader. They don't even really have weapons. And they're going to take on the most fortified city in the world at the time, the city of Jericho. And then they're going to take on these giants and these other people that possess the land that God said that they're going to take. And so when the ten spies that came back with the bad report, what they saw was they saw in the natural that there was no way. And you know what? They were right. There's no way that they could take on these cities. Can you imagine the people? Like pretty much all they had was like sticks and stones, going up to these massive walls at Jericho and hitting them with sticks. <laughs> you come out of there, <laughs> we're gonna beat you. And they're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. So they saw things through the lens of the natural. But God said, I'm going before you, that I'm going to take care of this before you even get there. And so what happens, the walls of Jericho miraculously fall because God intervened in the midst of his people. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives. But the problem is, is that when circumstances and problems and things that we go through in our own lives come against us, and we see the opposition, and we see the trouble, what we wind up doing— is we wind up looking through the lens of our resources, right? Our strength, our ability. How are we going to navigate through this? And we leave God completely out of the equation. And what happens is we wind up like the children of Israel, roaming around the desert, just kind of waiting. How many of you have gone through a season, or maybe you're in the middle of a season right now, where you just feel like you're walking around in a circle, waiting on something different to happen? Well, maybe it's because God is waiting on you to fully trust him so that he can do what he said that he was going to do. We just wind up roaming around the desert. But the difference is Joshua and Caleb, when they saw the promised land, they viewed the promised land through the lens of the Red Sea parting. The miraculous manna falling from heaven. And all of the signs and all of the wonders that God had done in their lives to that point, to bring them to the point that they said, we trust and we know that God is able because we've seen him do this. And a lot of times, you and I are guilty of doing the same thing. If we look behind us at all that God has brought us through faithfully, and all that God has done in our lives, he's led us up to this point, that we can use all of this back here as evidence to go that God's going to see us through here. But we wind up forgetting to look through that lens and we look at our own strength. Number two, Joshua obeyed at all costs. Obedience really hard for us when it comes to God I bet you there's a lot of us this morning that are sitting in here and God's called you to something God's given you something to do and you're just sitting on it saying I'll get to that another day maybe tomorrow failing to be obedient we see just after the victory at Jericho, you see, God had given them very specific instructions on what they could take, what they could not take, what to do with the spoils of the land as they overcame each city. There was a different set of guidelines everywhere they went. And so they go out to conquer the next group. They go out to fight at Ai. And Israel's just utterly defeated, and Joshua's like, I don't understand what happened, God, and God's like, there's sin in the camp, somebody disobeyed, they took stuff, so Joshua goes and finds out this guy named Achan had indeed stolen, and he hid it under his tent, and God commands Joshua to take out his whole family, livestock, their tents, burn everything, get rid of it, I realize that's a bit harsh, and thankfully, God doesn't call us to do things like that. That we have the mercy and grace uh, of Jesus Christ this morning. That, uh, that new covenant changes things that we don't have to do that. But Joshua obeys. And although God isn't calling us to do those same types of purges today, thankfully again, the principle is still there. And it's that we have to obey even when it's difficult. Because there's probably people and there's relationships and there's things that, and people in your life that God is trying to remove from your life for a very specific reason. Maybe it's a family member. that God is trying to weed out those that are bringing sin and those that are bringing negativity and those that are bringing toxic materials into your lives... The same way Achan's sin brought destruction into the camp of Israel. And some of you this morning, you know exactly who it is. And God's told you, you need to stop this relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's someone that you've known your entire life. But that relationship is toxic. And it's time to weed it out. Obedience is isn't always easy, but it's necessary. Number three, Joshua was a man of his word. He had integrity. I know this is a word that we don't hear much anymore or use much anymore. Is everyone familiar with integrity? I know it's been a while since you probably heard that word used, especially seeing how it's in the middle of the political season that word gets even further from being able to be used. Integrity it means that Joshua was a man of his word. You know, there was a, there was a time in our culture where you could look someone in the eye and, and shake their hand and that was as good as a legally binding agreement, right? You know, and today it's, we don't do that and legally binding agreements aren't really even legally binding agreements anymore, are they? Joshua was a man of his word. There was a group around Israel, the Gideonites. And, and they had seen all that Joshua had done and that Israel was doing, and they got afraid. So they disguised themselves as foreigners, and they came into the camp and said, like, hey, like, we're not here to start any trouble. We don't, you know, we're on your team. Like, leave us alone. We won't bother you. Like, we're just here. Can we hang out until all the dust settles? And Joshua was like, yeah, absolutely. We could actually use some help. You can do this and this. And then later on, Joshua finds out that they're actually one of the people that they were supposed to conquer. So what does Joshua do? Yeah, they take them out back of the camp and they kill them all. Right? No. Joshua was a man of his word. He's a man of integrity. He allowed the people to stay. Now granted, they made them servants, but they were still allowed to stay, and they were still allowed to live. Joshua was a man of his word, that even when he had given his word, and they deceived him, he still was a person of integrity. That's really what integrity means. Integrity means that you do the right thing even when other people don't do the right thing back to you. Consistently a person of integrity. Integrity. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter number 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And it's important that as representatives of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ, that we are people of our word and that we are people of integrity. Because people are going to judge the validity of your faith based on how well you represent God. I, I don't know why it is that God did that why he trusted his kingdom's representation to you and I but he did and so it's so important that we remember that and that we follow his commandments number four faithfulness brings the completion of the promises let's stop there before we get into the other half here faithfulness brings the completion of the promises. The Bible says this, after every conquest, and if you read through the book of Joshua, there's so many people that they had to conquer. And after every single one of these conquests, the Bible says this, Joshua did as the Lord commanded. Every time, Joshua did as the Lord commanded. Everything God commanded Joshua to do, he did it exactly as God had told him. Joshua didn't do just part of it. He didn't do half of it. He knew the parts that he liked and forget about the other parts or the parts that seemed rational. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we can do that. But you want us to do what? Oh, we're not going to do that part. He did everything exactly the way God commanded him to do. Why? Because Joshua was faithful. And we have to be faithful to do our part. Now, I want you to understand that faithfulness and obedience go hand in hand. I'll say that again so some of you can write it down. Faithfulness and obedience go hand in hand. You see, faithfulness is something that requires longevity. You don't just wake up one day and you're like, I'm faithful. No, faithfulness is built up through obedience over time. The equation is obedience over time equals faithfulness. And that's why the Bible clearly states in the book of Joshua over and over that Joshua did exactly as God commanded, that Joshua did exactly as God commanded to show the faithfulness of Joshua. Now notice this, in Joshua chapter 21, verse 45, this is kind of the... the, The summation of the whole book of Joshua. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Even though it had been generations earlier, because of Joshua's faithfulness to do what God had called him to do, to do what God had instructed him to do, to live his life in a way... That was pleasing to God. The Bible says this. Not one word of all the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Everybody say that with me. All. So there's two words for you today. All. And that was really weak too. All and wherever. The promises were made to Abraham generations earlier. And disobedience caused delay. Joshua's faithfulness enters the picture as a leader, and Israel is finally able to inherit the promised land. But now, if you keep reading in the story, guess what happens? Israel turns teenage girl again. And they change their crush. And suddenly they're disobedient again. And guess what happens? They get kicked out, they're conquered again and again, and they're scattered all over the world by various kingdoms. Because more disobedience costs it. The second part of that fourth thing that we're looking at is leaders that follow succeed. And that sounds kind of like counterproductive. Leaders that follow. Wait, I thought leaders were supposed to lead and not follow. Leaders that follow succeed. A good leader follows wise counsel. What better counsel to follow than that of God? God. The Bible says this in Psalms 37 that the footsteps of righteous men are ordered by God. A good leader walks in the footprints that God has laid out before him placing each step in to the print that God had left in front of him. Are you waiting on a promise this morning? Is there adversity? Is there something in your life that you're facing that you just you don't know what to do. You've got a proverbial Jericho in front of you. And you say, what am I going to do with this? I can't. You feel like the Israelites would have been with a stick beaten up on this thick stone wall. And there's, you're like, there's no way I'm ever going to get through this. I challenge you to try something different today. Get out of the way and trust God. And stop trusting yourself. We're so quick to think that we have, you know, we're spoiled in America because we have so many resources and we have so many great things available to us that we just are like, yeah, I can figure this out. And the truth is, if you look at your life and you look at the decisions that you've made in the face of adversity and you look where that's led you in your life, chances are you've made some pretty bad calls along the way. So I'm alone this morning. Well, congratulations. You're the first group of people I've ever met in my life to have completely made great decisions all throughout your life. That's why we never have to counsel people, oh, wait. It's okay. We've all made mistakes. Look at the person next to you and say, I messed up. It's okay. Let's just get it out in the open. We will all feel so much better that we don't have to sit there and, you know, we're, have you guys seen that commercial with the guys at the beach and they're sitting at the table and, and they're like this and this girl walks by, this young girl walks by and as soon as she comes out of the frame, the guy goes like this and the table flies over because he's been sucking in his belly all day. A lot of times that's how we act when we get to Church. We start sucking in our bellies and we start walking. We're like, Good morning, good to see you. And we can't wait till we walk outside and we get in the car and we can just let our belly go and just flop out. We're like, Oh, thank God. Wouldn't it be better if we just all came in as we were and just said, You got to love all of it. You know, I used to have the metabolism of a ferret, and some of you are probably looking at me going, Yeah, you still do. No, not so much anymore. But if we all just remember and recognize that we're all flawed. We're all messed up. I'm messed up. And church isn't about us coming here and all gathering and looking pretty and looking at each other, going, Look how great we all are. I'm so glad that we've arrived. <laughs> Aren't you? No, the whole purpose of the gathering together of the saints is so that we can encourage one another in our failures. We can pick each other up. And when it's time that we stop being ashamed of who we are, because guess what? You've made mistakes and you're going to make more. You're going to make some really bad choices. And that's what we're here for, to pick you up, to set you on the path that's right, and to continue to encourage you to stop trying to fix it in your own strength. But so, so many times we're clothed in shame and trying to hide the truth that we're not willing to let God in because we're, we don't want to be, Oh, I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I can't let anybody know that. And God says to you today, I love you exactly where you are. And the thing is, there is nothing that you can do to earn God's love. So anybody in here today who thinks that, like, God loves you because you're awesome, you're wrong. (laughs) Without Jesus' shed blood covering your life, you know what God says about you? You're disgusting. Get out of my sight. Don't care how long you've been coming here. But we've got to get out of the way. We've got to be trusting in God. We've got to be obedient people. We've got to have integrity and we've got to have faithfulness, which is obedience over time. And when that equation is full, then we can say in our lives, not one word of all the good promises that God made to interject your family's name there fail to come true. And so often we wonder why God's not working in our life. is because we're not letting him. You're too busy trying to figure it out for yourself. Have you surrendered everything to God this morning? Every piece of your life. God wants all of it, not some of it. And each and every one of us have a place in our lives that we're stingy and we won't let God have control of. The kicker is you gotta figure out what that is and let go of it. For some of you, it's your time. Some of you your time, you're like, God, I would love to, but I'm just so busy. God, you have no idea how busy I am. Sometimes I wish that God would obviously be like, seriously, you want to talk about busy? <laughs> some of us it's our finances. We're like, yeah, that's great, God, but you you, you have no idea how hard it is to make ends meet. You have no idea the financial strain that I'm up against. You have no idea what's going on. God, (laughs) just let me deal with this part. Maybe the reason you're having some of the problems that you're having financially is because you're in charge of it. Did you ever think about that? Maybe it's surrendering your heart completely. You've been hurt in the past. Maybe you've even been hurt in church. And you're like, you know what, God? <laughs> Man, it's, it's too tender. I don't want to let go of that yet. Each and every one of us have a different area and different place of our life that we haven't given Him complete control over. And God wants us to surrender it all to Him. And I want, if you walk away with anything today, walk away from with this. All. Of the little can be really big with God. A lot of us don't understand what we actually possess. We think that like, oh, I don't really have that much to offer God. I don't have any money. I don't have any special talents. I don't have a lot of time to give. Even if I did, I don't know what I would do with it because I'm not good at anything. The list goes on and on of all the self-pity things that we say about ourselves. And we say, God can't do anything with this. Look how small it is. Look how insignificant this is. But all of a little is so much with God. There's a story at the turn of the 20th century about a little girl who was about seven years old in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She was very poor. In fact, her family was homeless, she lived on the streets. She went to church one day not far from the place that her family was staked out in an old, abandoned building. And she walked into church, and immediately some of the people in the church saw what kind of girl she was. And so they told her that they, the class that she was supposed to go in, they just didn't have any more room. And they were super sorry, but she would have to leave. Maybe next time they would have more room. And the truth was, the class was a fool. They just didn't want her there because she didn't represent what they wanted to look like. So about six months went by, and the pastor of that church receives news that this little girl has passed away. And she froze to death in an abandoned building in downtown Philadelphia. And that her parents wanted to do the funeral at that church. And the pastor was trying to figure out, like, these people never came there. Like, why would they want to do? And so the parents came and they gave the pastor this little tiny coin purse. And it had 57 cents in it. The parents handed that 57 cents over to that pastor, that little tiny coin purse, and said that this was removed from the clutches of their daughter's little body when she lay there dead in that abandoned building. And that she had been making things, finding things, collecting, doing whatever she could to get money. Not for food, for her family who's living in an abandoned warehouse in the middle of winter in Philadelphia. Not to buy a coat, a piece of bread, a warm drink. No, no she raised 57 cents to give to that church so they could build a bigger room so no little kids would ever not be able to go to Sunday school again. And the pastor's heart broke because he knew exactly what had happened. And so he let them have that little girl's funeral in that church and he preached the message. And at the conclusion of that message, he held up the little coin purse with 57 cents in it. And he told the story about what that little girl had went through and what she did. And at the conclusion of that service, a few weeks later, local paper in Philadelphia picked up the story, and suddenly money began to, to come in and a local businessman, sold for pennies on the dollar. a big tract of land next door to this church, because all of a sudden the entire city of Philadelphia was rallying around this church, making sure they had enough room. And because of that little girl's faithfulness, and because of her 57 cents, Temple Baptist Church in downtown Philadelphia suddenly had this huge track of land. And on that track of land was built something that you and I have heard of today— A little place called Temple University. Where in the beginnings was a seminary and a school that trained pastors and missionaries. Thousands throughout its history. That went out and reached millions of people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it all started with a seven-year-old little girl and 57 cents. So when you tell God that you don't have enough, that when you tell God that what you have doesn't matter, God says it does. That if you will just give him what you have, he will do exceedingly abundantly if you let him. All of a little, if we were in San Antonio today, we would say is a Mucho. In God's hands, it's much. There's an old song that says, "Little is much when God is in it." And we and we we often wonder, and we and we say, "Well, well, yeah, I mean, that's a great story and all, but you know, that's not going to happen to me." You know what? You're right. It won't. You know why? Because you won't do what she did because we're so stubborn and we're so hard-headed that we hear stories and we hear things all the time and we hear God give us directives. But you know what we do? We go, oh, that's great. Where are we going to go eat lunch? Boy, I sure wish our country was in different shape. Boy, I sure wish our city was different. I wish there was more people that went to our church. I sure wish God would show up in my life. I sure wish. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Wouldn't it be cool if and God's sitting there going, just give it to me. I'll do it. I promise you I'll do it. Just give, just give it to me. We're like a dog trying to play catch. You ever do that? You have a dog, you throw the ball, and he goes and gets it, and he brings it back. and He wants you to throw it again, but he doesn't want to let go of the ball either, does he? And you're like trying to pry it out of his mouth. You're like, oh, just let go of the ball, and I'll throw it. I promise. The dog's like, I, I, but I can't let go. I want you to throw it, but I don't want to let go. <laughs> And that's the way we are with our lives. We're like, God, I want you to do something. He's like, give me the ball. And you're like, "Ah, but I want you to do something in my life. And he's like, let go of the ball. You're like, no, but throw the ball. You know, we're running around. We're like, God, do it. And he's like, give me the ball. And we just won't let go. Where this morning are you holding on like a dog to the tennis ball that you won't let go? Some of you need to stop telling yourselves that you're insignificant or that you don't have enough or that God doesn't want to use you because God does want to use you. But you've got to be willing to give it all. If you're willing, He's ready. Let's bow our heads this morning. It's super easy for us to be in agreement and leave this place and be like, oh, that was great. But the key is, what are we going to do differently tomorrow than we did today? God called Joshua to a specific purpose. And the only thing that Joshua had to do to fulfill that purpose was to be obedient and to trust God and to give it all. And in everything, Joshua trusted God. And Joshua gave it to God. God has called each and every one of you to something specific. He's given it. He's got a special plan and a specific plan for your life. And the question is, will you do what he's called you to do? Will we as a church... Do what God has called us to do. Will we reach the city? Will we reach our neighbors? Will we do what God's called us to do? And it's up to us. And Each and every one of us in here this morning walk in here with a different area of our life that we're withholding from God. Now, you can sit this morning and you can tell yourself that you've given it all and that you've done everything that's required of you. And you can keep telling yourself and you can keep believing and you can keep going on the way you are. But if we would begin to listen to the voice of God, God will reveal to you and he will show you right now because you're already thinking about it because you don't want to let go of it. And if we're willing to let go of those areas that we haven't yet fully surrendered. Maybe you've given him a little bit of it, but you haven't fully surrendered. God can't do what he wants to do in you until you've fully surrendered your life and your your resources and all of the things that he's given to you that you'd be willing to give and turn to him. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what? There is something in my life and I know exactly what it is. And God, I'm giving it to you. I don't want to keep living. I don't want to keep doing. I don't want to keep going through the same cycle over and over and over again. I want to do more. I want God to do something in my life. I want to do what God's called me to do. If you're here this morning and you will say that and you will pray that as we believe together that God's going to do great things in your life I want you to simply slip up your hand not as anything for me but as a sign to God to say God I give it all to you this morning God I give you every piece and the the piece right now that I don't want to let go of that I'm struggling even to think about this morning I give it to you maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ Or maybe you've thought about it or you've really never taken that next step to say, God, I place my life in your hands. I trust you completely. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Not to call you out, not to, not to, to make light of you, but if that's you this morning and you're here, simply slip up your hand. Or maybe you, you, you've fallen out of relationship with Jesus Christ and you haven't followed him the way that you know that you should. And today you want to set your life on the right path. I'm going to give you just a second to raise your hand. We want to, we want to pray for you this morning and believe that God's going to do something in your life. There's a couple of hands that have gone up, and we agree with you. Right now, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this day. God, we thank you for the lives that are represented here today. And God, for those this morning that raise their hand, Lord, that, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are getting their life on the right path today, they're surrendering their heart and their life to you. Father God, we rejoice with them today. Because the word says that all of heaven throws a party when someone surrenders their life. And this morning we join in that party in heaven. And we pray a special covering over them. God, we pray, Lord, for accountability in their life. God, we pray for discipleship in their life. God, they will get plugged in, Lord, uh, to church life here. And that, God, that as we grow, Lord, that they will come alongside and they will grow with us. God, And we pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to be what you called them to be. To only be strong and to be very courageous. And God, we thank you for their lives. God, for those that lifted up their hands, God, uh, surrendering those parts that are so difficult for us to surrender. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to let go and to let you, to trust you completely. God, it's hard for us to let go of things and to lose control. But God, I pray, Lord, that as we endeavor to do what you've called us to do, that you will in turn, do what you did. And God, we speak this morning the same echoing principle at the end of the book of Joshua, that in each and every life and each and every family that's represented here this morning, that all of the good promises that you've spoken and that you've ordained for this place and these families, God, that all of them would not fail, but that they would come true and that we would do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we even think that we can do. We love you, and we give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.